The Pro Tour is really important to me. Feeling this like connection and continuity with the players from the past and players all across the world, I think is so important and something that's so special about Magic. I think you can make a good argument this this was the single most meaningful finish that I've had. Prior to this, I think the story of my career is like, okay, Reed's, you know, pretty good player who's been around for a long time. He's consistent. Uh, he's accumulated a lot of good finishes. And that's great. You know, I'm happy to have that, that legacy. But there, there's a difference between accumulating, you know, solid finishes and actually showing up and getting first place. I showed up against the best players in the room and that day that weekend I beat them all you know when they when they were trying their hardest to beat me and I think that's special and I think it's something that people can understand and I'm grateful for that I'm grateful to have have had that that moment at least once Welcome to the Humans of Magic Champions interview with Reed Duke Reed's Hall of Fame resume just got a little bit stronger when he won Pro Tour Frexia this month over 16 rounds of Limited and Pioneer, Reed landed in the top 8 and proceeded to make his historic run to become the first champion of the new Pro Tour era. Reed shared what winning the Pro Tour meant for his legacy and offered a valuable glimpse into the champion's mindset. Enjoy! Reed, how are you doing today? Hey James, I'm doing I'm doing great. Uh, I'm actually never better, you know, uh, to, to, to be honest with you. <laughs> Uh, I'm feeling good, and thank you so much for inviting me on your show. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's probably a hectic week, to say the least, when it comes to stuff happening on your end, right? You just you've just come out with uh, was it not just one but two articles? I'm sure you're doing like a press junket of some kind. Like like, what's the week been like for you after the the pro tour? Yeah, it's been a rush. Uh, I'm definitely keeping busy. Um, the funny thing is the funny thing about my, my job as like a writer, as a content creator, is the more stuff I'm doing, the more I want to write about all that stuff. So it's kind of like this feedback loop where the busier you get, the busier you want to be and the more the more you want to work and stuff. Um, but I'm just trying to, yeah, basically get my thoughts out there and uh, share, share with the, the people who want to hear from me. And I, I was really glad that we were able to um carve out a time slot to do this also yeah i'm really glad and very thankful for you taking the time to carve out the time slot and Likewise. i'm just super <laughs> curious like like how how was your phone actually usable after the pro tour like did it just blow up with messages or like did you have to put it aside for a while like how, how did that work <laughs> uh yeah it was it was a lot so there was sort of like tears of what happened um to, you know, tears of what I could engage with. So when it, the, the, the event first ended, it was all like, you know, photos and, um, interview with Cedric and, and all kinds of like production related stuff. And my phone was in my pocket. And then after that, I, um, sort of wanted to like wrap up everything that I had to do in the convention hall. So that meant, meant, uh, checking in with some people, you know, returning cards that I had borrowed, um, walking downstairs to the main, like, M MTG Philly convention uh, to see some friends. And, of course, there were people who, like, wanted to say hello and congratulate me and take a photo or, or whatever. So that's all good. And then, finally, after an hour or two, it's like I can catch my breath, check some of my messages. 
but it was it was probably 48 hours before I even had a chance to really look at Twitter and, and see what, what people were saying. But it, it was just kind of this overwhelming stream of of support and encouragement that I, I, I kind of have no words to describe it. It was like winning the Pro Tour felt good on a personal level, but then getting to see that there were so many people out there who were rooting for me and that, you know, me winning and the pro tour being back and it being a successful show was like so meaningful to so many people out there. It's kind of just, just amazing to, to be part of it. Yeah. Um, I could kind of see as a, as an audience member on, on Twitch that like when Cedric was interviewing you or others were interviewing you, it hadn't quite sunk in yet. So I had imagined that it took you some time to, to process that. Right. Totally. Yeah. You, you know, the, the game ended and it was like, okay, it's over. I'm a pro tour champion. What, what should I do now? Like, should I de-sideboard my deck? You know, like, uh, <laughs> um, but it, it, it is weird because you can't flip the switch just like that. Like you're, you're trained as a player to totally take your emotions and your distractions out of everything. And it's like, I'm in game mode, right? I'm just focusing on this one turn, this one game, you know, whatever's right in front of me. And you can't just flip that off immediately when it's over. It, it, it takes some time to, you know, sort of release the pressure and, and it get back to normal before you can actually let the result of the event come over you. So really it was like, I was just stunned when it happened for a few minutes. And then finally when Cedric called me to the front of the stage and uh, he, he said, I want to introduce your pro tour champion, Reed Duke. That was the moment where I was like, okay, this, this is real. And you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to keep it together for that, for that interview. Um, yeah, very, yeah, very, yeah. very overwhelming. Yeah, to be honest, you still look stunned at that point. So that's why I was curious. And uh, you're totally right. I think the magic, I don't know what's the right term for that. The magic stoicism is really important when you're in the mm -hmm. moment of a magic event. Because um, I, I watched you, I'm sorry, this is jumping back a little bit. But I watched you like come back from that 02 deficit with Nathan Stoyer. And it was just like, incredible. It was, it was, I don't know, I, like, what was going through your mind at that point? Were you just stoic the whole way through? Or did you have like were you emotional or like uh, i guess during the top eight i should say yeah. yeah so i knew the match against uh nathan was gonna be really tough for you know if, if there's people out there who don't know nathan nathan sawyer is the reigning world champion and he's just like a super skilled um awesome player who, who also happens to be like on an insane heater so i went down o2 against him and it, this was like it wasn't just that I went down 0-2, it was like I felt like I had been soundly beaten in those games. Like I, I had um, I had pretty good positions at various points. He mulled to five in one of them. I, um, you know, made what I believe is, is a mistake or a bad judgment call to lose one of the games. So I'm like, yeah, like this guy's, he's just the best. You know, like I, I he's just going to win the Pro Tour again. And he's momentarily pausing so he can embarrass me along the way and, you know, <laughs> sweep me aside. Probably not, but that's what you're um, thinking. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, like that, that kind of went through my head. But I, I have the advantage that, that I've been around a long time and I'm sort of good at, at recentering myself and not letting that get to me. So I, I just like 
push that to the to the back corner of my mind and i'm like all right i gotta focus on these games and and make the best of it when win or lose i have to make sure i do my best here and um thankfully the the sideboarding games actually did mark a big change compared to game one in terms of you know my prospects of, of winning um and getting to bring in uh, a couple couple extra weapons off the sideboard uh plus drawing well and, and playing a little tighter i think i think uh contributed to turning the match around how easy hard is it for you at this point to sort of have those things go through your head i don't know what i'll call them but like come kind of negative thoughts and then be able to flush them away and then just mentally change your game plan which sounds like that's what you did like is that is that just like automatic to you now or, or like how does how does it work for you um it is hard it's it's you know people often ask me like do I still get nervous or, you know, how do I feel under pressure? And the answer is yes, I still get very nervous and these things are still very difficult, but I, I just know how to do them and I know that I have to do them. So I kind of view it as like, look, bad things are going to happen in a magic tournament. That's the cost of doing business. You're going to make bad, embarrassing mistakes. You're going to have really unfortunate top decks. You know, every bad thing that you can imagine is going to is gonna happen to you. And what makes, like, a really good consistent player is just being able to roll with the punches and, and, and you know, keep doing your best when those things happen. Absolutely. And I, it, it was really interesting for me, too, watching your progression in this Pro Tour because um, it wasn't a smooth ride, if I could say. Like, I think mm -hmm. you had you were on the record saying that you had some challenges with um, deck selection for Pioneer, and it wasn't exactly uh, your first choice, but it was something that you felt ultimately was uh, the right choice, and it paid off, obviously, but it wasn't exactly smooth, right? So I, I, I wanted to just ask you, like, how you felt about just maybe, maybe to make the question a little smaller, like, just the constructed portion of it, like what was going through your mind throughout the tournament? Like, did you, were you thinking like during the tournament, like maybe I didn't make the most optimal choice or did you feel like, like, like what's your thought process or mental process around uh, the constructed portion of the PT for you? Uh, well, for this one in particular, I kind of just had no expectations. Um, going in, I felt that Pioneer was a really balanced format where I didn't think really anyone was going to have a big edge based on their deck choice. Like if you look at all the top archetypes, they all have good and bad matchups and it's not obvious what the best deck is going to be. And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to have an easy run based on picking a good deck. And a lot of people who have qualified for this, this pro tour, they qualified from playing a bunch of pioneer. Meanwhile, I'm here from, sort of like a legacy invite from playing the the arena uh, tournaments last year. So I didn't feel like I was necessarily in a prime position to, you know, crush everyone in the pioneer rounds. Um, so I was going in, I'm like, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just want to enjoy myself being back at the pro tour, uh, put my best foot forward when it comes to the booster draft, and then we'll see what happens. Uh, and that plan was going pretty well. You know, I, I went 3-0 in the first booster draft, and then I was able to pick up a couple of wins uh, in, in Pioneer. And, 
you know, after the, after the first draft, I was kind of like, all right, I only need to go one and four, and then I get to make day two and, and draft again. But, um, you know, of course, you, you hope for better than that. Uh, and, yeah, long story short, I, I went in without a lot of expectations, but I learned a lot as we went, and I do think I had a pretty good deck. And, and by the end, it was like I had a good deck, I had some good matchups, and I was had learned to play it pretty well. So by the end of the tournament, I, I was I was feeling good for sure. Generally speaking, when you're playing at such high level events like a PT, do you actually get better with a certain deck th throughout the course of a tournament, or are you like ninety percent locked in in terms of understanding the intricacies of matchups and how to pilot the deck and the everything around it, like before the tournament? I'm just I'm just wondering what it was like in this case for you. I think I get better as the, as the tournament goes on. Um, in this case, it's it's easy to say that because I didn't have a ton of reps with the creativity deck beforehand. So it was like I conceptually understand what's going on and I've talked to my teammates and all of that, but I actually had to like go through the motions and get the reps as I go. But even in a world where you're playing a deck where you're 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 quite familiar with it, I believe that there's no substitute for tournament experience. So the difference between playing a bunch of Magic Online leagues or even, you know, sitting down against a friend and playing a hundred games or a thousand games, it it's not the same as being under the lights, tournament conditions, 50-minute time clock, uh, no takebacks against an opponent who is trying their hardest to beat you. Like that that's just not it's not easy to simulate that con those conditions in practicing. So I'm always, I always really cherish tournament experience. And I do try to say, this is kind of, kind of off topic, but I, I always try to tell people who are like just learning and growing in magic, like, hey, don't drop from the tournament when you're two and two. Like consider that a free opportunity to get really, really, really high quality practice if you just play out the rest of the rounds. That's a really good, uh, really good tip. And when it comes to your testing process or maybe testing house in this case for PT Phyrexia, like when you're, um, like you had just said, maybe, maybe grinding a thousand games on Magic Online is not necessarily the way, like, or, or, or not the only way, but like when you're doing the testing with other super high level players, is that testing super valuable? Is it super sufficient? Are you going by the judgment call of say a Mike Sigris or somebody else who just says, Hey, Reed, this is the deck to, to, um, to play. Trust me. Like how, how does your how does your process work in that case, you know, in that kind of situation? Yeah, great question. You know, we always want there to be like a scientific answer, like, oh, you know, we crunch the numbers and the machine spit out this this as the right answer, the right deck to play or the right sideboard card to choose. But in my experience, you don't get that with magic. You have to combine stats and intuition and experience from a lot of different um, a lot of different places and combine that to the best of your abilities to answer questions. So when I prepare for a pro tour, yeah, I'm out there on the arena ladder. I'm doing drafts on magic online. I'm, 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 you know, reading articles, listening to podcasts, I'm doing everything. And I'm trying to do like focused high level practice against other, other pro tour players. And it all combines, you know, in one one form or another to help inform the deck choice. I think it would be 
bad if you only played on the arena ladder, but also like to to discount that experience, you're, you're leaving a, a, a possible tool um, unused. So I think it's just, you just want to make sure that you have a complete well-rounded preparation and you're not leaning too heavily on, on any one thing. What I'm wondering about, because I, I don't have access to a, a testing house like yours and I'm not a high level player. And uh, you know how investing there's something called like alpha or just some sort of like unfair advantage you may have in, ha in terms of information or information asymmetry, right? Like you mm -hmm. know something or I know something that the other mm -hmm. person does not know. And that gives me a huge edge. I'm wondering when it comes to magic generally, is there like, you know, the popular podcasts and articles and people writing about magic or decks like, but is there also like a hidden alpha in terms of like, you know, just by talking to uh, someone like Nassif or Sigris, like they can unlock things about the metagame or a deck that it's like not even publicly available information. Like, is that something that comes up often or at all? Or Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there's, you know, th there, there are some people that I've practiced with in the past that seem to just have this sort of superhuman ability to like they just know what it's going to take to, to win a magic tournament. Uh, one person mm -hmm. that comes to mind is uh, Kai, Kai Buddha. Mm -hmm. It's he's, he doesn't even play that much magic anymore. Um, like he'll play one, you know, one pro tour per year or something like that. Uh, but he, when you speak to him, he's just, he just kind of knows everything. Like you, I, like, I feel like I could sit, sit down with Kai in a format that he's never played where maybe he doesn't even know the cards. And I could give him like a 15 minute rundown of, of, of what's going on. And he'd be like, oh yeah, it seems like, you know, this is the answer that, you know, th these are the strategies people are going to come with and this is how you're going to beat them. Like he just knows everything that it takes from step one to, you know, to <laughs> from step A to step C that like everything is going to take to win a, a magic tournament. And this is, I think something that just comes from, from experience from, from playing a lot. You probably made some of those good calls too, right? Where you've you've advised somebody and it worked out, right? Are there any things that come to mind for that? Like just just knowing having like some just just being like Kai, basically. Yeah, I, I've I've definitely noticed too that my intuitions have improved over the years. Like when I was younger, and people would say, "Oh, you know, metagame this. You gotta you gotta be ahead of the metagame and, and pick a good deck for the metagame." I was like, what, like, what, how do you do that? Do you just guess at what people are going to play? Like, how do you know what, what your opponents are going to come up with? But now after being, after having played so many hundreds of tournaments, I have really good instincts. And actually, you know, some of my teammates were, were like boasting about how accurately we had predicted the pioneer field. Um, and yeah, there's nothing like mystical about it. It's just, you you've been around and you've gone through the process of having to predict a metagame enough times that you kind of start to know what's important and, and have a feel for, for what people are going to show up with. Um, and yeah, I also, e even for decks that I have not played with a lot myself, I feel like I have good in intuitions about things like mana base and sideboard cards, like what sideboard cards are going to give you the most mileage. Um, yeah, sideboarding is tricky because you can't it's you can't you can't simplify it. You can't just say like, well, what's the most popular deck? I'm going to have the most sideboard cards against that deck. 
you also can't say like, well, what's my worst matchup? I want a sideboard for that. You have to do these sort of intuitive um, balancing acts of like what cards are going to give me the largest marginal upgrades the most often and actually contribute to having, you know, higher, higher expected win rate against uh, a diverse field. Got it. Uh, you have to, I have to apologize in advance. Like I, I didn't read your CFB pro article yet, but I wanted to know like all the way before the top eight of this pro tour, did you feel like there were certain turning points? Like, cause pro players always talk about how, I mean, obviously you guys are all very good, uh, but there's also, but you also have to run good. So like, were there certain turning points during the, the pro tour where it, it just gave you this feeling like something was going to happen? whether it was day one or day two. Yeah, um, my, my confidence... I don't know if you even believe in that. Maybe that's like too superstitious <laughs> to say, right? Yeah. Well, that's a that's a great, you know, whole, whole topic of conversation in itself of, of like, you know, how, how much of this stuff is real versus superstition versus like how much of it is me going back and rewriting history to fit with what happened. But all I know is that when I went to sleep at six and two on day one, I didn't really like picture myself playing in the top eight. I was like, okay, I'm really happy to be six and two. I can have like a decent day two finish tomorrow and we'll see what happens. Um, and there were points in the tournament where, where I started to think like, okay, actually maybe I can do this. Certainly when I made the comeback and beat uh, Nathan Stoyer, who, you know, one, one of, you know, maybe the, the, the toughest opponents in the top eight, once I got past him, I was like, okay, like maybe I can actually do this um, and, and win the whole thing. Before that, it wasn't, before that I was just putting one foot in front of the other and I was gonna see how far I got. Um, but but at that point I was like, yeah, now, now I wanna make the most of this and maybe come home with the trophy. Um, another big turning point was, I wanna say it was like round 14 where I got called to a feature match and my opponent was playing blue-white control. And uh, if you think about the blue-white control deck in Pioneer against my strategy of trying to attack with a World Spine Worm, they have a million counter spells, they have the Wandering Emperor, they have instant speed removal spells. It's just kind of not going to happen. Our strategy... Mm -hmm. This this is this is verbatim. This is what my team talked over. Our strategy against blue white control was lose game one as fast as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Make just sure play your clock. cards, see yeah. what happens, and like. Uh -huh the sideboard games get better and you want to make sure you have enough time to play two sideboard games. That's actually what you guys said. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so I sat down in the feature match area against the blue white control player. And I, I was like, all right, lose fast. Just play all my cards and see what happens. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, I had just won. I won game one against blue white control, which was not part of the plan at all. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Like, so, you know, something has to be going really right for me to, to find myself in this, in this situation, um, like I just played two Fable of the Mirror Breakers. My opponent had had to spend a little bit of extra time, like solidifying his mana, and I, I ran him over. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to the sideboarded games, uh, which are good for me with a, with a really big advantage in the match. And uh, this is, yeah, this is just 
better than I could possibly ask for it. Certainly you have some moments like that where, where things have to go very, very, very right for you in order to get that far in a tournament. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe more of a lighthearted question, but Twitch chat was very much up in arms about them not letting you hoist a trophy on camera. So like, what's your thought on that? Like, did it, did it bother you? Did you hoist the trophy away from the camera? Like I, I, what happened? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, I, uh, I was just it was kind all of, blur. <laughs> yeah. I, I let, I let coverage take care of that stuff. There's, you know, some, some people with big fancy cameras, they, they just told me <laughs> where to look and how to hold the trophy. And that that's fine with me. Um, that wasn't exactly where my head was at at that point. So now that it's been like a few, maybe almost a week or a few days, uh, how, I mean, I, I know I, this is a flawed question. I know you're not one to like, you know, pat yourself on the back, but like, how do you see this pro tour win when it comes to putting in context of your magic career and yeah, just, just like, what do you think this means for the redo legacy? If I may use a lofty mm. third person, uh, reference, you know? Well, I, I think that's, I think you can make a good argument. That this, this was the single most meaningful finish that I've had. Um, prior to this, I think the story of my career is like, Okay, Reed's, you know, pretty good player who's been around for a long time. He's consistent. Uh, he's accumulated a lot of good finishes. And that's great. You know, I'm happy to have that that legacy. Um, but there, there's a difference between accumulating, you know, solid finishes and actually showing up and getting first place. Like, you, you... I showed up against the best players in the room, and that day that weekend I beat them all you know when they when they were trying their hardest to beat me and I think that's special and I think it's something that people can understand even if they are not you know super invested in, in magic organized play and I'm grateful for that I'm grateful to have have had that that moment at least once what does it mean for you in terms of going forward and the so-called fire like like hmm. are you like yeah I mean just yeah what, what 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 is it what's your thought process now having actually won a pro tour it's it's really funny, James. I mean, you and I booked this uh, this episode like a couple months ago, right? And I, I was <laughs> I like, "Well, we what, did, what yeah. am I going to talk at, talk about on Humans of Magic? It's going to be like, you know, washed up pro comes to terms with not being that, one that was going to be the YouTube headline anymore. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we'll we'll keep that one. We'll save that one, but maybe we'll schedule it for like another you know two or three years in the future at this point. But um, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how now I, I've had this good tournament finish and the whole conversation, the whole way I'm feeling about things is, is shifted. Um, I get to play the world championship again, which is really meaningful for me. I love getting to have that opportunity to play against the best players. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling great. I, 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 I just want to go out there and enjoy playing on the pro tour and do my best. And I was going to do that either way, but now I, I feel just really good about it. And, I'm, I'm grateful to still be, you know, relevant in the game to some extent and be in the conversation. I don't know if you were ever irrelevant. I mean, did you ever, did you actually feel that? Or was it some sort of imposter syndrome thing going on? Well, I, I've had a lot of disappointments in my, in my career over the last few years. And the, uh, the play from home era of arena was not 
particularly great for me. Like I, I, um, I qualified for last year's world championship and this pro tour by the consistent finish, uh, pathway. So I went 10 and five in all of the arena championships, which is, you know, a good, that's a good record against tough competition. I'm really happy with that, but it's no, nowhere close to like a top, a top eight finish or even like a significant amount of prize money. Um, so in that sense, I went a few years without really spiking a tournament or, or feeling like great about any, any one individual finish. And that starts to wear on you. Um, you know, everyone can show up at a tournament and, and lose, and that's not a big deal. We all know that's going to happen. But when you just like, again and again you're losing and you're missing day two and you're coming up short that's when it starts to wear on you and you think like boy what am i doing here um so yeah to go to go a bunch of years without a without a breakthrough finish um was something that uh, that i was thinking about for sure and i'm glad to break that streak i think a lot of uh great players go through that i'm just thinking about pv paulo vitor and you know he's he's always been very public about the time where he uh, I think this is around, this is back when they, there was like silver, gold, platinum. And there was a couple of years where he struggled and he was very public about, am I actually going to keep doing this for mm -hmm. you? Did you, did that ever, was that ever a thought in terms of stepping away or taking a break? Or was it just like, I'm, I'm, I'm on the planet to play magic and I'm just <laughs> going to, to grind it out, you know? Good question. So I, I definitely still at, at all points saw myself as being engaged with magic, you know, being someone who's part of the competitive magic community in some form. But I thought, you know, you know th there were times when I was like, okay, I'm getting a bit older. Um, I'm not going to be out there playing 30 Grand Prix every year anymore. So instead of trying to think of myself as like one of the best, most active, like top ranked players, I'll just be take more of this like sort of teacher mentor type of role with my my work at Channel Fireball, and um, yeah, I, I always wanted to keep playing the Pro Tours and, and show up and do my best in the tournaments that that I would play. But I didn't really know if you know how many more times I was going to play the World Championship and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, at least one more. <laughs> is is that something that's on your bucket list? Is like winning winning worlds? Is that is that on your list of things you really want. Yeah, for sure. For, for the reasons that I, that I said earlier, like just being able to say I won the highest level of competition against the best players, I think is really special and difficult to replace. Uh, Worlds in particular also has um, emotional weight for me because I, I lost the finals in 2013. And I feel like the, the way to sort of vindicate that experience is to come back and, and, and win in a, in a few, in a future year. Um, so I, I played worlds, uh, in October about, I guess, four months ago, and I worked really, really, really hard for that and was grateful to have been part of it. But, you know, again, I didn't, I didn't break through to the, to the top four or anything like that. And, um, the structure of worlds has changed. So it's going to be a larger tournament this coming year, but that's fine by me, as long as it can be, you know, this, this fun, prestigious event with a lot of the best players, then I'm really 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 excited to be a part of it have you ever considered i this is going to be premature but have you ever considered what your world's card would be like what sort <laughs> of design would you put forward into the world if you were in that given that opportunity 
Uh, I haven't gotten any further than just sort of like fleeting, you know, glimpses or things. Oh, come on. You must have I something. Like, like, you must have like a new blood, blood braid elf or thought seize or something in the well, works. Well, right? I mean, the, the, I, the, <laughs> there's, there <laughs> happens to be a player made card that I have enjoyed a lot in my lifetime, and it's Dark Confidant. So if right. I could do something that, that, that comes in that vein of like, oh, I get to play this in my grindy, you know, black mid-range decks and put pe- put the screws to people, like that That would be the best for me. Um, yeah. yeah. As, a, as an aside, I think uh, Yuta Takahashi's Fairy Mastermind card is really cool. Oh, it's incredible. I mm-hmm. definitely need to, I definitely need to get a playset. I, I feel like it's like exactly the kind of balanced design and it's just great in so many formats. It just, it just looks incredible. So. Yeah. It's got that cool, like subtle touch, little finesse. Yes. Which is perfect yes. for a player like, like Takahashi. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully they can make a dark confidant in your likeness or something that's iconic down the line. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, rooting for you on that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So you mentioned in, in your writing that worlds was like intense in terms of preparing for it. And it, as a kind of cyclical thing, you didn't prepare as much for this pro tour, but somehow you won the pro tour. So I'm, I'm not trying to draw any conclusions from that, but then how do you think about like preparing for upcoming pro tours and like, are you, are you going to become more serious about it? Do you feel like you're in the zone now where like, like how, like what's your, what's your mental approach and how do you feel about everything? Like, are you going to try to win? Are, do you have the mindset of like, I'm going to try to win every PT this year? <laughs> Boy, it really does make me think because. A lot, of, a lot of my yeah. best finishes have been at times where I wouldn't have considered myself like super confident or super well prepared going into the tournament. Um, like there have been cases where I like switched decks at the last minute and then did really well. Or so th- there is one there is one phenomenon that I think we can we can identify, which is the is it creativity deck is not in my normal wheelhouse like left to my own devices i'd probably be playing something like rakdos where it's like thought seize grindy deck mid-range that's what i what i'm drawn to uh, a lot of my best finishes have not been with decks like that things like boggles and mono blue i made my last pro tour top eight with and then it is it creativity this time and i think what's going on there is when a deck is actually good enough for me to break from my normal holding pattern and like go out on a limb to play it, it probably means the deck is pretty pretty special, um, and that that I, it's actually giving me a significant edge over the field. So I want to make the most of that and not be too stubborn and be willing to to play whatever I believe uh, gives me the best chance, or even whatever I believe is going to help me like learn and grow as a player. I think that's that's good to not be too attached to my deck choices. Uh, your other question was, am I going to try to brute force and, and win all the Pro Tours this yeah, year? Yeah, make history or something, you know, just just uh, become well, the we, greatest ever. You know, my, my, win like my... three Pro Tours in a row. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's something that you can you can willpower <laughs> to, to make happen. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it would be really fun to go on just some, some sort of like Kai-esque run and, and just, you know, mm-hmm. the... the uh, be on top of the game. That would be awesome. But uh, whatever happens, happens. My, my my whole thing is I just want to do a good job at whatever tournament I'm playing. Um, my 
team and I have already started talking about our arrangements for, for Pro Tour Minneapolis. And so I'm going to be, I'm going to be right in the mix there, you know, making sure that, that I prepare with the team and, and, and I'm ready for the next event. Um, but yeah, no, no expectations really of, of what's going to happen. What you said just now, like in terms of, um, you know, going maybe outside what you're typically strongest at, at in terms of deck selection, it's so easy to, to understand that on an intellectual level. And that's exactly why you have a testing team where people can advise you and, and try to give each other, um, the best feedback, but is it still hard to pull the trigger on those things? Or have you just learned over time and over years to, to trust your teammates? I feel like that trust in other people, whether it's in magic or otherwise, it's just so hard when it comes to this being about your livelihood. So like, how do you see that? You have to use your, your intuition and your judgment. You also have to learn to communicate and speak the language of your teammates. Like some people, when they say, oh, I really like this deck. It means that there are a lot of decks that are close to equal. And this is the one that they enjoy. Other people, when they say, oh, I really like this deck, it means like this deck is broken and you better listen, you know, <laughs> and, and getting to know your teammates and the way that yeah. they communicate and, and use your judgment in situations like that is, is important. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, um, you had mentioned in the, in the, in the interviews that, um, Mike Sigris was a, a big, um, part of this team this, this time around. So what sort of communicator was he was he was he the underselling here or was he like uh what, what was his communication style like and how did you interpret it yeah siggy was you know sort of like our team captain in some ways in terms of he was like both our best constructed player with the creativity deck and our best drafter who was like taking the lead on all our limited discussions and stuff like that so big big shout out to mike um he is a very good teammate and very good communicator. Like he's not pushy, but he's just very clear. Like, Hey, I tried a lot of decks. I played a lot. This is the one that I, that, that was the best for me and I'm going to play it. And he wasn't pushy, but just, you know, his, his presence and his confidence, um, and his ability to, you know, beat people in practice games, just what, what one by one people jumped on the bandwagon until we were, uh, pretty close to unanimous on both a deck choice and a deck list. What's the, f what, what's a fun thing that happened in the testing house other than that pizza dropping on your laptop? Like what, <laughs> what's, um, what, were there, was there anything particularly memorable that you'll maybe remember like a year from now? Uh, well, we were in Philadelphia for when the, the Eagles were in the Super Bowl. That was pretty cool. Uh, okay. <laughs> we're, you know, the, the Philadelphia sports fans are like kind of notorious in, in a number of ways. And the Eagles kind of lost on like a questionable call at the end of the game. And we're like, oh man, like, are we going to get in trouble here? Like, is Safety our car going to get, get, get <laughs> be set on fire outside the window? Um, but, you know, that, that was just a fun experience. Like be, you know, be in Philadelphia for the Super Bowl. Um, lot, yeah, definitely lots of cool, fun, uh, fun testing experiences. But mostly it was just great to be out there again and, see friends that that i hadn't seen in a while and stuff like that 
yeah. You don't have to say who it is, but like, did you have any interesting conversations with people like about non-magic stuff, like just about life or just about the egos or something else? Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy because, well, the whole this whole like sort of magic ecosystem is funny because I have these people that have been my friends for ten years, and they're you know some of the people who are closest to me in my life, but sometimes you sort of skip a bunch of steps. It's like, hey, buddy, I haven't seen you in years. Um, give, you know, give you a big hug. And uh, what, what, what would you draft here? Like, what, you know, what's your favorite color in draft? Or what deck are you going to play at the Pro Tour? And, <laughs> but the fact is, after having not seen a bunch of folks for, for a few years, it's like people have families now. They've got other cool projects and jobs that are, that are coming up in their lives. So it was just awesome to catch up with people and see how everyone is growing up, so to speak, uh, you mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. develop. Is, is there a, is there a kind of joy in the fact that people are growing up and have new projects, but also at the same time, you, you kind of have this ability to just like go back to a previous point in time almost. Cause it's just like, it feels like the way you described it is like, you can also pick things up right where they left off, like whether it was X years ago or whatever. Right. So that must yeah, be also interesting. I think that's true. And, and basically just to be around, you know, be around friends who have like this shared interest and passion is, is, is a really special thing and, and felt good after so many years. Yeah. I also want to talk about organized play in general. Like, um, I, I'm not sure, like, cause I know you've been pretty good friends with a Huey Jensen in the past. Like, ha have you had those kind of dialogue or conversations with him over the, like ever since he actually started working for wizards, like it, it ha have you guys had a dialogue about, um, organized play. I'm, I'm curious, like, um, because to me, it feels like he's very much like an architect behind this, uh, revitalization of the pro tour. And I'm, I'm only, I don't really know cause I'm not an insider. Right. But I'm, I'm wondering if you are an insider, if you've had like conversations about with him in terms of, you know, like giving feedback on what organized play can be or like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, it's just kind of a general question. Sure. So people who attend these big magic conventions might know that a lot of times there's there are wizards employees there on site and their main job, their main mission is just to go around and like talk to magic players and sort of get a, you know, get the pulse of, of the community, the ecosystem. And so the, the brand new organized play system is a perfect opportunity for that. Um, so when I talk to Huey, it's a lot of like, Oh, you know, are you excited about this tournament? Why or why not? Like, what what are some things that you think would be cool to to implement in the future? So, not like I'm getting like privileged information or we're you know having an, a, any kind of influence on on what's going on. But but as somebody who plays all the tournaments, he's always willing to listen to to what I have to say about stuff. That's that's awesome. I mean, it, you must you must have been pretty excited when they when they called it the pro tour again. Right. So you could actually oh, be yeah. a pro tour champion. Yeah. Like <laughs> was, was that his <laughs> no, decision yeah. or it's like a whole bunch of people within the, the wizards that, that sort of like made, made that happen. Cause that people were very excited about that when it happened. Yeah. That I don't know, you know, I don't know really what, what the behind the scenes process is or, or, or how their team comes up with things. I do know that, that Huey is always like really, really, um, speaks highly of his team and he, he always says like oh you know this wasn't just me it's it's everybody who's working super hard and super passionate about this stuff making it possible which i believe um but yeah the the 
the Pro Tour branding is really important to me because after so many years, I'm not it's I'm not just a player, I'm also just a huge fan of the game. And if I wasn't competing in these Pro Tours, as probably someday I won't be competing in every Pro Tour, I'll be sitting at home like watching every second of the coverage and uh, feeling this like connection and continuity with the players from the past and players all across the world. I think is so important and something that's so special about Magic. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think we should, you know, cavalierly, like, throw out the name Pro Tour. And I think that even for players who don't play on the Pro Tour or don't, you know, really care about Pro Magic, I think it's cool to have this foundation and this history and this, you know, ecosystem that, that makes the game special. So in terms of this new Pro Tour and PTQ format, what sorts of feedback do you have? Like, are you, what, what kinds of things are you happy with? What kinds of things do you wish could be better improved? Uh, great question. I mean, how, how, how long do we have? Uh, there's a lot to talk about here. <laughs> as long and as you need, actually. The, yeah. <laughs> the, um, the first thing to say is like, look, it's going to be really, really hard. Like pro professional magic, there are... I'm just going to make up a number, but like, let's say there's a million people who are out there that are good at magic and they play a lot and they want to play on the pro tour. That's, th that's a lot of people fighting for 300 slots at the pro tour. And that's going to be hard no matter what the system looks like. So we can turn the dials in terms of like, you know, how easy is it to requalify versus how many opportunities are we giving to new people and stuff like that. But, but the, the bottom line is like, it's always going to be hard and there's always going to be frustrations, and that's just the cost of doing business. So with that in mind, some things that I like about the system are, yeah, we are giving lots of opportunities to, to the next generation of players. People can qualify through the regional championship. There's this pretty robust tournament system on both Magic Online and Arena. I think that's awesome. So lots of opportunities for people who want to be out there playing. Um, I think the regional championship is a cool tournament in itself, which is a big thing. So like, it's not only about playing the pro tour, playing the world championship, also just, you know, qualifying for the regional championship and getting on a plane and going to play against these great players in, uh, you know, it's San Diego for the United States or, or where, wherever you are in the world. I think that's a great experience in itself. And some, that for some people that's, that's their end game. That's what they're working towards. And that's totally cool. Um, what I personally miss, I think is some kind of equivalent to like the old Grand Prix circuit where there's just a lot of play opportunities and just these big, exciting, um, tournaments. And, you know, I, I've now been to Magic 30 at Las Vegas and, uh, Magic Con Philadelphia. And those are great events. Very cool. Like awesome. Just be in a room with all this, this energy and passion for Magic, uh, and yeah, I guess the, I have absolutely no complaints about, about what's going on there, but just having even more of that stuff and more like tournament opportunities would, would be cool. Um, yeah. 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 The GP feels like, uh, unfortunately kind of a, a casualty of like the, the shift in direction, right? Because, um, uh, well, my words, not yours, but, but, uh, the, the casualty comes from sort of, uh, the, the rise of so-called casual formats and uh, more, maybe more emphasis on that. 
it, it was a really interesting as a as a bystander like during this pro tour where it was like because I'm, I'm i'm pretty much addicted to twitter unfortunately i need to i need to stop being addicted to it but um like you could see like there's two tracks of discourse there's like people having fun playing commander and like the the creators in that sphere and then there's another track which is like people following the pro tour and i know some people say that there's overlap but for me there really isn't all that much like people who are going to be playing uh who are going to be dueling people like in commander are not really the kind of people that are watching the pro tour so i think there's that kind of like um kind of an identity crisis because like i'm very much leaning more towards like competitive play and and pro tours but i understand that like that used to be kind of like the the flagship for magic but it's it's and i'm so glad that the pro tour is back don't get me wrong but it it, it feels like it's still kind of secondary to maybe the rise of the the casual formats or the casual crowds so it's like i i, I don't know because like you you've also done content for like non-competitive casual content so it's like is that is that am i correct in reading like that's kind of where the pendulum is going is the pendulum correcting because like the pro tour and things like that coming back like like i know you're really very much just on the competitive side but i'm just curious like how you th think about all that so i hear you when you say that you know you don't see much overlap between the two communities and that's fine I think that it's sometimes framed as like a competition, like, you know, the casual mm. has to come at the expense of the professional or the professional has, mm. you know, professional competitive has to come at the expense of the casual. And I, I totally reject that. I think that that's a false dichotomy, a false way of, of, of framing it. I actually feel really strongly that like the strong ecosystem of casual non-competitive play is what allows the pro tour to be possible. And the strong foundation of like competitive integrity and the, the opportunities for people to like hone their craft and get go really deep in magic, that is is also important to the ecosystem of, of casual play and sort of gives like structure and integrity and credibility to, to magic as a game. So I think the two things work together and are, are both like really, really necessary um and you know in general the more people that can have fun playing magic in whatever form that takes the more passion there is out there all, all the better you know <laughs> doesn't 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 matter to me whether you like commander or, or standard or booster draft like just just have fun playing magic that's awesome yeah and i'm re i'm reminded of the story you told me when we first recorded uh the previous episode where um you mentioned like meeting somebody at the airport and how that person, uh, like, you just assumed that person was going to a GP at the time, but he was just like, no, I, I don't. What's the GP? Like, I, he was just a guy traveling at the airport, but somehow he was like following uh, your exploits or like following pro play. So I think there's still something to be said for like, if magic is just like out there in the coverage or in 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 the mental space of players, like competitive play, that's still like a net positive for everybody involved, right? yeah that's that's the way i feel exactly yeah um yeah now can i take the opportunity to to ask you james what like from your seat and and your the way you engage with magic like what do you think of of organized play and what do you think uh what do you, what do you wish there there was that maybe there isn't uh well <laughs> uh yeah i i'm happy to answer like i 
um, I did try to qualify for regional champs, regional tournaments. They, they, um, they, they, they have them in China as well. Um, I didn't do very well. I didn't, um, but I definitely played a lot of RCQs. <laughs> and I think I really enjoy doing that again, just because of the, uh, being able to play, uh, good competitive tournaments in paper again, that was really important for me. Like, I, I think like many people, I, I played magic online and on arena and I really wanted to play paper again. I, I just basically realized at this point in my life, it's, it, it, it has to be a win-win. Like I have to play magic because I feel like I'm, there's a goal, but also because I want to like hang out with people or I had a lot of fun playing some of those qualifiers with friends who were physically like talk to them, like between rounds instead of like over messengers. That was really important. Um, I think organized play in general. It's really good. I I want organized play to, um, yeah. I, I think I think having something like a GP structure would be better. But I think I, I think what we have right now in terms of like regionals and in terms of um, you know having three hundred seats to a pro tour, I think that's important because I am very much a fan for tradition and precedent, and so I don't want any new pro tour to veer too differently as a, as a spectator from what was there before, because like, if you just told me now the pro tour is like three rounds or it's mm -hmm. only played on uh, magic online or magic arena, I should say um, for me, that kind of reduces the legitimacy of someone who becomes a pro tour champion. Like, you know, who, you, who becomes pro tour uh, Phyrexia champion. So I want there to be a good balance. And I, I feel like for the most part, wizards has achieved that. Um, I've also lived life long enough on earth to know that a lot of decisions are not perfectly made in a vacuum. So, um, you know, whether it's Mr. Jensen or whether it's like people at Wizards trying to do the right thing, there are many, many um, market forces at work. So um, I think despite all the things that are happening and the things I mentioned about casual play, the fact that we can have a pro tour like this is really really, really remarkable. So I, overall, I would say I'm very happy. I'm definitely going to be trying to grind more, um, RCQs or whatever they're called. Um, I love to hear I, that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's great. Um, I think also what they have in terms of just saying, um, we're going to lock in a format for constructed for, uh, for a season. I think that is a net positive because I mean, sure. You could look at it a hundred, a million different ways, but I think, I think they're also considering kind of, um, uh, uh, experience level of players like reps, familiarity of the format, and also things like, uh, budgetary considerations. So I think, I think, I feel like wizards is like well-intentioned and trying to do the right thing. And I think for me at this point in my life, I'm 40 years old. Like I think intentionality matters a great deal and you cannot like please everybody. So I think, I think overall they're kind of on the, the right path. Um, so that's my very long-winded answer to your question. Yeah, it was great to hear. I mean, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm right there with you. You mentioned like the continuity with the old, the old organized play system being big and yeah, just giving, giving people opportunities to get out there. Yeah. Um, there's one question I didn't get to ask you just earlier, but it's coming back now. So the online only era was, uh, like you had mentioned like going 10, five and like, it, it wasn't your ideal, um, performance. Um, I have to also believe that now that pro tours are back in paper, like that's where you have a 
quite a huge edge, right? I would imagine like you play against people now, like in, in magic tournaments where like, they've never really played online. They may not have shuffled cards in a while. Mm -hmm. Like, like, is that, is that something that, um, is that something that is, is that a, is that a valid observation? Like just, just being, um, or maybe your reply to someone's tweet, like, like is, is, is just, just being really familiar with paper. Does that, is that something that like newer players have to work on? Like, because it's just the dynamics are so different or maybe even clock management, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just the experience level in, uh, tabletop magic tournament conditions. I think it is a big deal and it's, difficult to explain why it's a big deal because it's just the accumulation of so many little things uh and like sort of your comfort level being there but yeah things like pacing you know finishing matches in time but also not rushing and you know knowing how to avoid pitfalls and things like that i i often think of magic sort of in terms of like athletics like sports and when you are in shape when it comes to magic, it means that things are coming naturally to you. You're comfortable, the like dexterity issues and how to actually play your cards and, and, and viewing the battlefield, processing things, that stuff's all second nature. And when you're in shape in that way, that's when you get to make breakthroughs and like make the really sick plays and read your opponent and know what to do and have these inspired moments. But when you are using so much of your mental energy to keep up and like, just be there and like, okay, untap, upkeep, draw. And you know, this is what my opponent's card does. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, and keeping track of things. It's much more difficult to actually play your best game because your your effort is going towards just like basically functionally completing the game uh and you don't have a lot of extra space to to make the next level plays and things like that so yeah to, to make a long story short it's just the accumulation of of small things that make you comfortable and able to to really play your best so what separates you from a top five thousand? player on magic in magic like is it the fact that you can achieve that flow state like is there are there more things that come automatically to you as compared to even a high level um grinder like like what what do you see as the that divide i think it is it's consistency and it's well-roundedness so you mentioned you know top five thousand players under the right conditions any one of the top five thousand magic players could play a turn or a game or a match of magic better than me they could beat me no problem no surprises there. The difference is being able to show up round after round, day after day, tournament after tournament, and always be at your best in whatever format, under whatever conditions, and, and always bring that that top level game. And I think that's something that has that I you know that I've been able to do better than than a lot of players, even some of my uh, you know peers and colleagues and that's where you see sort of like the consistency shine through and, and uh, managing to not, you know, not, not have these disaster events and not fall off the pro tour and stay not on the top, but near the top of the game for a long, you know, extended span of time. How do you manage to stay 
this naturally begs the question, how do you manage to stay on top of your game consistently? Like, is there something intrinsic to what you're doing or your preparation or just how you take every match of magic? It circles back a bit to the beginning of our conversation. We talked about you have these thoughts going through your head, either negative, like, oh, this guy's better than me. I stink, this and that. I just made such a big mistake. Or you'd start getting ahead of yourself and tripping over your own shoelaces where it's like, I'm going to win. I'm going to be holding the trophy. And you can't do either of those things. You just need to stay focused on what's in front of you and tune all of those other distractions out and, and, and play your game of magic. And I think anybody who's been around, like they know they can do it. They can sit and they can play a turn of magic really well and not make any boneheaded errors. And the trick is just being in that zone for as, uh, you know, a, as large a share of the time as, as possible and avoiding those, avoiding those mistakes. Do you have any specific routines that might help? Like, I don't know. Are you a meditation person? Like, do you go for a run in the morning? Like, I, I don't know. Like, do those things mm -hmm. work? Like, I don't, I have no idea. Like, uh, what's yeah, your there's approach? no, there's no magic. There's no, uh, magic recipe. There's nothing. There's no one thing that you should be doing to like suddenly make yourself, you know, a Zen master and, and, and always have the perfect mindset. Uh, I always just tell people like, do what you have to do to feel good on the day of the tournament. So that means sleeping well, you know, for some people it might mean not having that extra beer the night before the event. For some people, it might mean getting up and going for a run. Me, personally, I uh, like to do stretching because a lot of times it's like, okay, I've just gotten off a long airplane flight. Now I'm going to be sitting in the chair all day. Like, let me make sure that I feel good, you know? So, so, so doing some stretching in the morning is a big deal. Uh, there's also your between rounds routine. So going out, getting going for a walk, making sure you're on a good uh, eating and, and drinking schedule um so that you can go into each match like refreshed and not still dwelling on what what happened in in game two of the previous match and then also just your your table demeanor um one thing that i'm big on is is pacing right like don't rush especially don't rush like the last turn of the game uh and just like sort of it's worth taking that extra minute to be like, okay, let me double check and make sure I'm not jumping into anything foolishly and that I'm actually executing the way that I had planned and I'm not missing anything. Got it. Got it. So, um, switching gears a little bit, I, I wanted to also ask you about what it was like for you as a, as a person, like over the last two, three years, because it was kind of good timing. We recorded the previous episode of the podcast. It was like April, 2020, like when things started to change in the world. And now fast forward, we're in, was it February of 2023? And uh, the world is different now again. I, I mean, like, can you take me through like maybe, maybe your growth as a person, it can be magic, it can be non-magic related. Like what, what, what's been going on? Because like people, um, you know, we all, we all live in our own heads. I'm just kind of wondering like what it was like to, to, to be reduked for the last two, three years. Yeah, boy, that's a, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> that's a whole nother it, podcast, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, it was tough in some ways, uh, and good in some ways. I mean, 
basic level, like we had this global pandemic and I was in a situation where I was healthy and I was able to work from home and my whole life didn't get totally derailed. So I'm just very, very grateful on a, on a basic level for that. Um, it, you know, emotionally it was tough and having this routine of like traveling almost every single weekend to go play magic. And then suddenly the, the, the plug is pulled abruptly. And, and then I hadn't left my house for three years. <laughs> that's a big, that's a big change to wrestle with. Um, but yeah, in general, it sort of made me like slow down, catch my breath, uh, think about some things that I, that I hadn't really ever allowed myself to, uh, like when I was a super active magic player traveling every weekend, that's just go, go, go. Like you're never pausing. You're never really like stopping to evaluate your situation. Um, or, or your life, uh, because you're just always on to the next thing. So having that quiet was, was definitely a change of pace and challenging in some ways, but, but good in some ways, like, let me think, think, having me think about what I value outside of the world of magic and what like the people in my life mean to me and how I can stay connected with them in, in, in the best possible way. Like that, that's all sort of tied into the, the story of my last few years. Any, um, any fun new hobbies or anything, any, any hobbies you picked up at all? Or like any, any, I don't know, any, any projects or it's just, or it's just yeah, like, I, mean, you're, I, you're, I didn't you're, do, it's I magic. didn't do the sourdough <laughs> bread making. Um, <laughs> but uh, a lot of it was like, yeah, let's find ways to stay connected with, with my loved ones. So, uh, for the early part of the pandemic, like, you know, some of my groups of friends would do like video game night and. I'm, I haven't, I'm not like very regular or, or very good like video game player, but we would do like Dota night or like League of Legends night where we'd all get together and like be on a Skype call and just go like lose a bunch of games in a row and have a blast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I picked up a game called Dominion, which I had played uh, a oh, lot yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Yeah. in like paper, like, you know, boxed cardboard form. Uh -huh. Uh, but there's also, I, I learned a really, really nice um, online client for it that's free. And so, like, mm -hmm. my friends and I would, would go play that a lot. Uh, more recently, I moved and I now live, like, right down the block from a rock climbing gym. So I got a membership there. And that's a cool way to, you know, do some, like, physical activity um, for, for a guy who spends most of his life in front of a computer screen. That's That's really good. Yeah. Well, you look like you're in pretty good shape. So, uh, yeah, I, hope, I, I guess the rock climbing is, uh, where the maintenance work is, is working, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, thanks for saying so. I, I, you know, if you want the, the Reed Duke fitness tip, it's like, just do something fun. Like if, if you, if you're miserable going out and, and spending 45 minutes on the treadmill every day, you're just going to quit. Yeah. So like, that's not good for anybody, but if you can do something where you're actually excited to go use your body and, and, and be fit like that, then you're going to, you're going to stick with it. It's much easier and just makes for a much better routine. I hear that. I mean, I used to be one of those people that ran on a treadmill and, um, uh, but what I really love is actual running outside. So, um, yeah, unfortunately I had way. a lot of chance to do that over the last two, three years. Um, I started like, you know, training for marathons and half marathons and, 
that was really fun. And I had no idea because like before when I used to be the person in the gym running on the treadmill, I just hated it. And you just have mm. to find the thing that, that works for you. And it's, it's really <laughs> like, maybe that's the magic parallel. It's like consistency, right? Cause like, if you just, if you just get up and like do something that you enjoy, like every day, it just compounds. Right. But if you, if you hate it, it, you can still do it for a long period of time, but like, are you really happy? Like you're, you're, you're not. So, so that's really, that's really important. Like not to get super philosophical, but I feel like we're all like on this planet for a short amount of time. So you don't want to do things that you, you don't enjoy, right. Just to try to please someone that, um, you don't need to please. So, um, I imagine for magic is probably like that for you. Like you really love it. So it's like, you can put in the daily work or whatever it is you put in because it doesn't feel like a job, even though it is a job, right? Like, I don't know, like, I'm not saying I'm a professional runner. I'm definitely not, I'm not athletic, but, um, but I, that's really important, right? It's just, just that consistent sustained output. And it just compounds because if you get, it's like the cliche, if you get like 1% better every day, then how much is that in a year? Right. That's a lot. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think it applies to magic and a lot of aspects of life. You should do this periodic check of like, am I doing this because I enjoy it? Or am I doing this because I feel like I'm supposed to, or because it's the way I've always done things. And, you know, just being able to break from, from those molds and get off the hamster wheel, as I like to say, like just break from the, the cycles that aren't really serving you well is, is a good thing. Yeah. Any tips for someone who's starting to do like climbing? Cause like, I'm pretty much a a novice or a noob at that. I might've done it like once or twice. Like, are, are there any ways to any like redo tips to become a better climber <laughs> or something? Uh, well, I'm not much better than a novice myself. Like I, I would say I improved a lot really quickly when I first started doing it and then sort of like got to a plateau, which is I think normal experience for, for athletic stuff. Um, but if you actually want to keep improving, you, it's probably just like magic where you just want to like have, uh, have access or experience with, with people who are better than you and, um, yeah, challenge the way that you've been doing things and, and go outside your comfort zone and stuff like that. All right, Ree, thank you so much for, um, taking the time to, to talk to me today. It's, uh, it, it was really nice to hear your your thought process process, like before, during and after this pro tour. And, uh, uh, I, I would ask you to plug your work, but I think you're more famous than I am at this point, uh, and will continue <laughs> to be more famous. So I'm pretty sure people know where to find you. <laughs> if not, I can, um, yeah, I don't know. What's the best place for people to find you. I shouldn't say that. Like, uh, yeah, what's, what's, uh, uh, what's the best place for people to, uh, stay connected with your work? Well, my, my work mostly goes up on channelfireball.com. That's, uh, written, written work and then videos on the channel fireball, YouTube, uh, channel every once in a while I'll stream on, uh, twitch.tv slash reader rabbits. You can catch me there, but, um, yeah, James, thank you so much also for, for making the time for me. It was, it was great talking with you again. Yeah. And uh, I hope we'll have a conversation in the next couple of years that says Reduke wins another pro tour not the, uh, alternative headline. So I, <laughs> I wish you all up, the best. The washed up pro headline. <laughs> we'll keep that one <laughs> That's never going to be the case. We'll